0: Welcome, everybody, back to the EM Over Easy podcast. John, it's good good to be here with you. It's good to be with you, too. Yeah, it's always nice when John and I can actually podcast in person. We've done too much of this remotely lately. Yes. But we have two amazing guests here, Jeff Comp and Amanda Stobar gallagher
1: Hi.
0: And we're going to talk about, I think, the hot topic in emergency medicine education, which is what the heck happened.
2: What, what would you be referring
1: oh, to? I, I Dr. I,
0: I, 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 I have about? no so, idea. Unless if you've been under a rock. I Matt, would like to have been under a rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> John's like, where is the cave How? I can retreat where to? Can, where else can where I have him crawling last week? to? Yes. But match 2023, 555 spots went unfilled at 129 programs in emergency medicine. To give a recap, last year it was 219 spots at about 50 ish programs. So a definite increase on both sides. John and Megan are both here, both because they're awesome, but because they actually had the—I don't say opportunity, because that would be a really crappy thing to call it.
2: That's the way to look
0: at it. But it
1: it was an opportunity. It is an opportunity. It was an opportunity.
0: The the, the opportunity to not fill and go through the soap process. Mm -hmm. So initial reactions. What the heck happened?
2: Oh, after you, Megan. Oh my!
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you said what the heck happened, all I could picture was myself getting the email and seeing that half my program was unfilled while I was on shift and having to excuse myself and go lay down on the floor somewhere. I was prepared for maybe two Because of the decrease in applications, I mean, we saw at our program an 18% decrease in applications from last year. We tried to increase our number of interviews to kind of compensate for it. We tried to be really, really smart about holistic review. But ultimately, you know, we just we just didn't fill. And in our area, I work in the Philadelphia area, there's a lot of programs and there's a lot of schools, though, and there's a lot of people we thought would want to come to our area. And when it came down to it, people we thought wanted to come to our area did not want to come to our area.
0: I love that you said you were ready for it because I work at a program and we filled, but we were ready for it too. Like we We, had planned on. There, and Jeff works at a program yes. where I imagine you yes. guys had an, a contingency plan that yes. there's a chance we are not going to fill all of our spots. And we increased our allotment, which I know as I say that, people are going to be like, oh, you are the problem. We increased it by one. So it wasn't like we doubled our program size or tripled. But just adding that one person, we were like, this might be, that might be the, the spot one. we I sold for. More, yeah. Because, again, like as Megan mentioned, we saw a decrease in our number of applications. And it was like really good candidates who had, who had applied to us in previous years did not apply this year. And so we had a contingency plan of, all right, who's off, who's going to be available, who can, and my medical director literally had his fingers crossed because two of us were scheduled to work that day. And I was like, because if we have to soap, I am leaving work. So no, I think everybody was ready for it. And unfortunately, it happened for some folks.
2: John? So Megan, I was not on duty when I got the letter, which interestingly, I think I would have loved to have been surrounded by like kindred spirits at the moment when I got the, got the notification, but I also was at a 50% match rate and a very similar, you know, you don't want to speak it into existence, right? But in my head, I was like one or two, most likely purely based on numbers, but I'm going to lead with a little bit of gratitude just because like we all know it was. Unpleasant all the way around. Students, programs, onlookers, bystanders. Right, there was nobody that was like, "This is awesome."
1: That was the car wreck that you just right. Had to keep it, it was
2: happening in slow motion, and no one could do anything. What I what I will say was what wasn't there immediately, so it took some reflection time to get there. But this is where I did land. What I was shocked by, in a positive way, was. I had an incredible amount of support from our system, like programs that matched, coordinators from other programs, way above my local shop, we had support from our entire health system. So that was... That's really, really great. So recognizing that, also recognizing the incredible team that I had already around me, my coordinators, my faculty, I mean those were like next step. And then the residents that stepped up that took ownership, like this is our program and we want to do whatever we need to do. And then the other thing that I thought about was the quality of the applicants that I was reviewing that had not matched. And you don't know all the stuff that goes in the soup, right? All I know is that these were folks that for whatever reason had not ended up on our radar by their choice or by our choice. Right. And the applications I was reviewing, I was like, what, how did these people not match?
1: Absolutely felt the same way.
2: Yeah. So anybody that's listening that did soap or know somebody like, don't make any assumptions about the quality so of the So the assumption applicants. that you were getting crappy applicants that were leftovers that were the are gonna be subpar emergency physicians. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely the false. Yeah, absolutely absolutely the false. I there were people that I reviewed that would have ranked super highly on the initial rank list that we submitted. No doubt about it. They were extremely competitive applicants.
1: They might not even have accepted <laughs> my interview invitation during right. the regular recruitment season yeah. as a newer program.
2: Because no more energy to go back and even try to figure that out, literally. Just exhaust at the end. The retrospective data thing is still yet to come for our program because we honestly just needed to put it in a box for a little bit and just, we got a year. We're going to take a couple of weeks. We're going to enjoy conference we're all going to be at core we're going to celebrate what has happened now but then we're going to try and learn from it like doctors do so again if you've been under a rock
0: the initial reaction has been all over the place unfortunately if i was to be honest it's been a little more negative than i think it should be yes. and as i say that i know people are going to be like oh well we have to be honest with how bad it is and well i, I think that it's the same i mean everybody at this well John has surrogate kids. So I can say everybody at this table has kids and you don't be blunt with your children. Like there's being honest and there's being parent honest. Not exactly the same. But there are some things to take away from here. One is that to dispel the myth that everybody that was left over was leftovers. Right. Not and, even close. Not even close. And in talking with other program directors that had to soap, they have very similar stories of the people they got were stellar candidates that if they had seen them, if they'd been on the radar before, would have been at the top of their list. But for some reason or another, as we all know, the match is a funny game. Some people that are really good don't match. So, I guess the question is, with what you know and what everybody here at the table knows,
3: what would be the big overarching reasons you think we found ourselves where we were last week? So, India, I guess I have a little bit of an interesting take on this, and we're probably going to get into a, a couple of these other bigger reasons. so I don't want to cut anyone off at the knees, but you know, we talk a lot about things like you know we had the job report that came out, we have an increase in the number of spots. There's a huge decrease in the amount of applicants. And I think there are a lot of like overall bigger global things, but something that I'm really trying to think about now is um, like, what are the actual issues on the ground and what can we do to change? What can I do to change? Right. I mean, obviously as a community, as a profession, there are some really challenging and difficult questions that we have to answer, but I think about things like, how can we be better at advising and mentoring our students? How do we let them know this is still the best job in the world, right? We have a lot of challenges. We have a lot of things that we need to work through. But something that really broke my heart with some of my advisees, I mean, I work in a really weird city. I live in Phoenix. We have two upcoming three residencies, but we have four medical schools. So I have a lot of medical students that are saying, hey, I heard this or, hey, my school has been telling me this about emergency medicine because without painting in two broad strokes, my thought and my experience was EM mentorship from a med student level unless it's associated with a residency is really not that great. And what we need to be able to start doing is expanding out from our own institution and being able to say, Hey, I would really like to give you good information on what a specialty is like really like, I don't want to give the rose colored glasses of like, Hey, it's, it's fantastic, but I need you to hear from someone that's in academic medicine, what it's going to look like for you. And I think that's where we need to change it when it's the much more granular level. Yeah, I like
0: that.
2: It's an, it's an excellent point. And to piggyback off of that a little bit, there is this, this parallel that happens and you can learn a lot from history. This is a very same discussion that was had probably a decade ago about pre-medical schools advising people to go to DO programs, right? <clears throat> so I think there is a lot that we don't recognize happens. And this is where that interface between GME and and UGME needs to really improve, right? If you're at a school that doesn't have an EM advisor, and like a real EM yes. advisor, like a real That's the thing, like like an, like actual, real, like like an, an actual medicine in, physician. Right. Yes. yes. Then those conversations yes. are very different. And I applaud the folks that are stepping in to help. They're yes. Trying. but They're trying. But yes. They just don't need, know. need help. And so then to twist that into mine and then toss it to Megan, my thing is that we need help is, I think what you talked about, what a practical step on the ground was. One thing that I do recognize was we knew these numbers were where they were. My mistake, and I don't know that I could have changed it, and maybe that's why I chose to blinder it a little bit, was we also, in our program, we tweaked a lot of things to make sure that we were doing a comprehensive review and all those things. However, I did not adjust our game plan to include the fact that we knew there were so many less applicants. So we stuck around the number of ranks that had traditionally worked. Side note, it it didn't. And <laughs> and I think what I'm getting at is not that that was a bad it was a bad strategy, I think. But more importantly, I only have so much support to do more. Faculty are in emergency medicine residencies are working faculty. They, they they're boots on the ground, and that's great. It actually enhances the educational experience to know that your faculty are in there with you and teaching you clinically. The problem is that. Because EM is a 24-7 specialty as opposed to other specialties, and that's not a dig on other specialties, just the way they work, right? It's not like I can just say, well… Dr. Sharkey is a Monday, Tuesday administrative off person, and Dr. Lloyd is a Wednesday, Thursday, and Dr. Casey. Man, he's the program director. He's really like he gets Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every week to do administrative stuff. That it doesn't jive at all, and so you can't just pull people from their administrative time because that's already way for thin to do the things they need to do. To now up more interviews, and one little slide in underneath that is. This virtual interview stuff, not weighing good or bad, I'd love to hear other people's opinions, but the one thing that I will say is it makes it incredibly easy for people to cancel last minute yes. and harm other people. It is not a zero-sum game. Do not, if you're listening and you're a medical student, do not, do not, do not be that person. Do not take up all the interviews and hold them on your calendar and then wait until the day before or a week before. And if you're a program director and you do that to people, you should have to scrub with soap for the rest of your life like soap 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 because you should not get to match match match.
1: So so to go from there we you know we are a new program we did have to soap for one position last year so we were pretty ready and we also saw the decrease so we said okay we're going to increase our interview spots by 20 to try and compensate for it but then by the by January people just weren't even showing up. They didn't right? even cancel. They right. just didn't show up to the virtual interviews. Yeah, and there would be days where people would, you know, cancel two days in advance, and instead of having five or six on our slot, there would be one person who showed up to interview, right. and then they got a private interview, and it was a really bad look for us for that one person who showed up to see that people just didn't care enough, and it was it was harmful.
2: And How did that? So how did that impact that one applicant? Who right. Now right. Looks around, right, right, right. Right, are they like, ooh, this must be signaling this, from other students that this is not this is not a place. This that is, I is not a place that be. I want to be. So many levels to that nonsense. Favorite one had a guy email me the night before an interview at like ten o'clock to tell me that he couldn't be at the virtual interview the next day because there was a power outage and he didn't have internet. Keep in mind, he emailed me. He emailed me, he emailed, so he I, emailed I, I, to you. I emailed him back and said, you do know how the internet works, right? And there's, like, places to go, but <laughs> you have I answer. lovingly mean this. Like, I really lovingly, like, this doesn't reflect well on you. Like, you should just, like, people pay attention to these things. So,
1: Yeah, it, it would be very interesting to see how many interviews students did actually take. I don't know how... So right. They figure out that data between interview broker and ERAS and all those different things. But it would be very interesting to see who, and not who, but like who by characteristics and numbers and things like that took how many interviews, where.
0: Well, it makes me feel good to know that you guys had people cancel last minute, oh. too. It was, oh, like minutes before it started. I just our, blown our, our, away our just last, didn't show up. No, exactly. It was yeah. Blown away. Yeah, because our, la- our last five or six days, we slate for six to eight, and we're just four people.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, blown away.
0: And people that cancel last minute. And, to or, get those four. Or, and literally, I remember one day it was... Uh, they texted, "Hey, I'm getting on," and then just didn't show up. Like they even like reached and said, "Hey, I'm running run a little late." And we're like, "Okay, well, we'll a little bit. We'll play a little game, you know." And then I took it very personally, us. so I'm oh, glad no, to hear that yeah, other
1: people yeah. had a similar experience because for us, one.
0: there were two people that we could have interviewed that we didn't get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't last minute pull from a wait list. Hey, everybody, it's Andy Little here, one of the hosts of E.M. Over Easy. If there was an ultrasound cover or a scanning pad that could help make ultrasound-guided procedures safer, easier, and more convenient, both for you and your patients, don't you think you'd be interested? Now, remember, inserting an intravenous device is one of the most frequently performed invasive patient interventions in the emergency department. But despite their frequency, establishing an IV can still be challenging, particularly in patients with difficult-to-achieve IV access. Failed insertion attempts can cause pain to the patient and increase infection rates, They can also be expensive for the hospital as each attempt requires additional time and procedures. Our friends over at Civco have come up with Envision ultrasound covers and scanning pads that are 100% gel-free and are designed to help you insert IV devices without the use of ultrasound gel, saving you time and helping you to reduce the risk of patient contamination. Envision uses silicone adhesive that attaches easily to any transducer. Then instead of gel, you activate the probe with the use of sterile saline. When you're done with the procedure, you simply peel the cover off the ultrasound probe and send it to the high-level disinfection per your facility's policies. We invite you to request a free sample of novision and try it out for yourself today. Just visit civco.com slash gelfree. That's C-I-V-C-O dot com slash G-E-L-F-R-E-E today.
2: And shout out to the program coordinator, by the way. Oh, so oh I don't know my. If every program oh, coordinator man. did this, but I mean, just shout out in general, but I don't know if every program coordinator, but mine were so cool because they didn't let me know all that stuff. They actually had a really good sense of timing, honesty. They wouldn't say it right before the interview start. They wouldn't say the name. They wouldn't say if this was a substitute applicant or whatever. It was they would just later let me know that something had happened, and I think they knew. That that would put me in a weird, weird spot mindset. while I'm trying while to, you're trying to interview while I'm trying to interview like they know that there's a little piece of my brain that's going to be dedicated to that. So
1: there's so no, it's just so far beyond a workforce report and yes numbers. Yes. it's just yes. so far beyond yes. what we're seeing on social media and yes. in the news. I mean, my program was highlighted in the Philadelphia Inquirer because we were posting on Twitter about the soap and kind of, you know, advertising, come on down. And so our program and three other programs in Philly were in the Washington Post. And so, you know, that all impacts things too. And I just, there's just so much more than all of the Twitter feeds. Yeah,
0: well, I think it's interesting because trying to figure out what the heck happened, it's now it's how do you respond? And I feel like there is a rush to be the first one to be right. Right. And in that rush, we will probably hurt ourselves. And I'm not going to put... Everybody here knows of all the different articles that have come out. National news, within the EM organizations, their own news is coming out. Everybody's got a statement and everybody's crapping on the statements and saying, oh, this isn't enough. And everybody's got their conspiracy. I won't say conspiracy theory. Everybody has their theory because I don't think it's a conspiracy. But it's interesting because it's the, so what the heck happened? And then what do we do next? And I think that's it. let's move forward.
3: That's That's it, right? So there will be these elephants in the room. There will be these things that there will be the the bickering in my head the the bickering that's sort of at like a thousand foot level and i'm trying to think of i mean we just we already talked about interview right i mean thinking about now we all had and when we were advising our our med students hey this is the number of interviews that you should have those are numbers and that's information from on-site interviews right this is a whole new ball game and frankly even though i don't i don't this may be a whole nother topic i don't really think that we're probably ever going back to in-person interviews because of things you know cost etc carbon footprint whatever but because of that there's less skin in the game i mean we've talked about how people just don't show up could you guys imagine paying for a flight paying for a hotel and then going to a city and then just not showing up i mean there's some sort of a little bit of a natural selection and some sort of subliminal signaling by actually going to a program and saying hey I want to know enough about you that I'm going to invest my money and my time in doing this. And something that I don't know the data or numbers behind this, but if we we have students that are able to apply across the country and tell all of us that we're their number one, at what point do we actually start saying, well, how do we either artificially or other ways figure out how we can get outside of like the actual signaling process, right? How do we get students to say, hey, I need to put some skin in the game. And I think the problem there is is that if you look at the
0: initiatives that are being proposed by NRMP and AEMC, they want us to be as pro-student as possible. exactly. But then none of them have to go through the soap or the scramble. Right.
1: But by wanting us and promoting us to be pro-student, some of the programs were hurting each other. The recruitment tactics where programs have a ton of money Mm – I can't even tell you the things I'm seeing that they're sending these students after they interview. Swag. Like, the swag. We were unfortunately probably hurt because we couldn't have in-person second looks at our program. But like they're, they're, some places they pay, could. they're paying for people to travel there too. And I mean, I honestly have, do not have even the money for some swag at this point. So I mean, we're hurting each other by some of our recruitment tactics.
0: Well, I think it comes down to from a program standpoint, this is no longer a zero-sum game. You know, five years ago it was I don't care about you. I want that student. You're not going to get them. If you get them, I don't get them. And now it's the house of emergency medicine looks bad when any of us don't match. And there needs to be a, a little bit of a change in people's brains and their chemistry and how they view recruitment is that I want to fill, but I want you to fill. And I want you to fill. Yes. And I, want you to, yes. I want everybody to fill. Absolutely. Yes. Because if, because if buddy doesn't fill, we right. all look bad.
2: Right. Raise all the boats. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's the way it's the way to do it. And I do want to, Hinge back on a, on a point that you mentioned, Andy, that I think is really important. And to tie it back to medicine, right? So we all know about the stages of, of grief, right? Dabda, right? The depression, anger, bargaining. And I think your statement is so keen that there are so many organizations right now that are trying to be the first out with the solution. And I think our talk today has shown This is a multi-multi-factorial problem, not even one multi, two-layer multi, metaverse multi-factorial problem. And so to think that within a week of this happening, people are going to have this great comprehensive solution is just folly. And so people that are already using their platforms and their microphones and their bullhorns to say something is, must be this way and it must change – what they're doing is they're skipping a lot of the stages of grief, which we all know is the wrong way to go, right? There was denial. And I think we've gotten through that. Like, you know, there are probably a few deniers still, but but denial that this was a problem. And then anger, right? And and people are forgetting that we're still in that. Yes. I think there's been a lot there's, of reaction to anger. There's a lot. Yeah. And a pe- lot yeah. of reaction. And people have tried to move on to the bargaining where they try and wrestle with the problem. Now's actually not really the time to wrestle, right? It's the time to listen and hear people and and not just programs, but students. We need to hear from the students. We exactly. need to hear from the next year students. We need to hear from the undergrads. We need to hear from the alumni, the emeritus. One of the most appreciative comments I got, I mean, you guys all know, former program director, was getting a text from your program director, emeritus, like the previous program director, that was like, Hey, I recognize that I was working in a golden era, and keep your head up. Yeah, that's don't really let it awesome. bother you. Yeah, exactly. that's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because then in all this everybody's asking, "What do we do? What do we do?" And I think they're forgetting that you need to be angry for a while. I mean, so, yeah. And, and anger, it's okay to be and, angry. And by the way, anger does have a large amount of self-reflection that people try to forget. Like you can be angry and self-reflect at the same time. But I think the long-term solution, really, the only thing I can tell everybody at this table. And I think if you're listening, the only thing I know you got to do is you've got to do what you can with yourself. And so when students ask, is your job the best? If you don't think it is, you can say it's not good and leave it alone. Cause there's a way to be honest without being brutally honest. But I think everybody here at this table, and I know most of the people listen to our show, EMs still kick ass. Like, I love what I do. There are days that I love it more than others, and there are days where I hate it more than others. But at the end of the day, I do some pretty freaking awesome things.
1: And I am challenged every day. And that's one of the things I love is every day is different. I'm challenged to do new things. I'm challenged to think. And I'm challenged to do what's best for other people who come to ask me for help. I would choose this job every time. And oh, by the way,
0: all the things that are at risk for making our job worse exists in every other industry everywhere in the world. And I only say that because as a number five of six, I have five siblings that I will bounce the ideas off of why work is terrible. And all five of them are really good being like, well, that work, well, that happens uh, in my work. Same thing. I'm like, it can't happen to your work. And they're like, I got the same problems, different customers. And so it's just take a beat, take a deep breath and remember why this is still a really good thing.
2: Right. I work with some amazing, and by the way, it's funny, you watch every year like what's the what's the top specialty? That's always like America's top model. It's like America's top specialty. And you get people that are applying into it and they're like, oh, so this year, I think ophthalmology and orthopedic surgery, for example, OBGYN, right? So the the triple O's, I don't know. But the the you know, they all ranked like amazingly well. So I am <clears throat> good and blessed at my shop to work with some really awesome ophthalmologists, orthopedic surgeons, and OBGYN physicians. And you know what? All of them are great and passionate about what they do. But there are more than one that have said, oh, man, the part of my job that I hate is fill in the blank. You know, realizations, trying to chase down patients that have a critical thing and I can't find them anywhere in the universe. Clinic day, because I want to cut or... Clinic day or cutting day because I don't Find the joy in surgery, the exact yeah. same as I did. Or, 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 and now I or like chasing reimbursements medical. from insurance chasing companies, yeah. Even or trying
1: to get patients care because of insurance. Exactly,
2: or getting them like into a different right. So what I like to remind people is that you know there are things in my specialty I I don't love, but I love the specialty. I embrace the specialty. So you got to talk about all those things. And when I when I talk to people and tell them, you know, when you're you're talking to an advisee and you see their eyes lighting up about certain things, like there are things that I do really love about. Especially like the variety of patients that is amazing to me and the fact that I get to be there on what people consider to be usually one of their worst days and help them in some way is a true gift. And I appreciate that. And I work with awesome residents. I work with awesome faculty. They're great teachers. We're like the door to the hospital, right? Everybody kind of passes through us. How many cool notes do you ever read that start with, patient was seen in a private office and then referred in for direct admission? Never. It's always, patient presented to the emergency department for evaluation, and then it goes from there, right? So let's just acknowledge those things and present the good things and then have a realistic discussion About the things that all specialties have that are not the greatest because there is no perfect job except your perfect job where you can balance the joy with the things that you're not going to enjoy.
0: Well, and I think in there is if your job isn't perfect, know that it's not EM's fault.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So maybe you need to move. Right. Maybe you need to change practice patterns. Maybe you need to work less. Maybe you need to work more. And as someone who's gone through some crap in his life as I've gone through all this is my job is – has not played the huge part in my happiness that I thought it did. Surprisingly. On both sides, yeah. whether I'm happy or I'm sad. Yeah. My job has been there. It's been constant. And and as someone who's gone through stuff we don't talk about, it's also been the constant to where it's been the thing that's kept me grounded. Yeah. And the thing that's kept me sane.
2: Yeah. EM is more than a job to all of us. We talk about the job, but when you're advising someone to come into emergency medicine, you're not bringing them into your job. You're bringing them into your Specialty, your family. And that's a very different discussion to have with someone. I don't know that a lot of people would want my job as the program director. I mean, I have residents that I love that I teach that are like, Oh, I would never. I wanna be an emergency medicine physician, <laughs> but I would never want to I be a, ped- I, to I be I a program. Director. Or yeah. I would never want to be an ED medical director. I would never want to be a quality director, right? But all of those people are emergency yeah, physicians. We all have that in common. So recognize when you're talking when you're when you're complaining about your job versus when you're helping someone pick a career, that's a different discussion.
3: We continue to go back to the importance of mentorship, right? I mean that's where we're at now, right? It's not going to look good if we continue to have infighting about Everything. the higher level stuff. What we need to be doing is we need to be having these conversations with our students, telling them like, Hey, I'd really like to tell you about what my job is actually like. Or, Hey, can I come and give a lecture to, to the, to, to your students? Or, Hey, can I? Can I give a lecture to your emergency medicine interest group? And tell them this.
0: I had a friend who's an orthopedist who called me last week, and he uh, was watching this all unfold. Works in Chicago. He texted me and said, hey, we chat. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I pick up the phone and we're chatting. And and he said one phrase that was really interesting to me. He said, do you think EM having five major voices is good for your specialty right now? And I said, it's got a point Mm because the five voices don't get along. No. And you can't tell me them having their differences has helped us. And so if you're listening from one of those people with your four letters, calm down. It's all gonna be okay. (laughs) Get some makeup. But there is a point there to where like these other specialties that even anesthesia who went through this a decade ago, they had one unified voice. There was one group, there wasn't infighting. And so yeah, we could talk about this for a long time. Oh, for a long time. I appreciate Jeff and Megan for hopping on. This was awesome. Absolutely. Um, John,
2: any last words? No, thanks to, to both of you and thanks to all of the students, coordinators residency just a huge shout out right like a collective deep breath and sigh you all did it you matched you filled you did the very best you could with difficult circumstances no matter how it ended give yourself a pat on the back for for a a job well done regardless of where it ended for you
0: well thanks for hanging out all the way to the end of that episode talking about what the heck happened in the 2023 match Don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. Head on over to ACOP.org today to learn more about this great organization and how you can attend one of its upcoming CME conferences like Spring Seminar in Phoenix, Arizona next week where you can see your favorite EM podcast live and in person. Until next time, bye.